0: Thank you, ensemble. You know, it seems absolutely absurd to think that a great man of faith would ever doubt the person of Jesus Christ. But the reality is there are many throughout the entire Bible who are great men and women of faith who actually doubted God. In fact, you may be here this morning and you've come into this worship service and you yourself are experiencing doubt. In fact, you may be weighed down with a guilt upon your shoulders because you are not only doubting, but you are doubting your salvation. In fact, you may be plagued with a plethora of questions, and you're asking such things as, did Jesus really pay for my sins by dying on the cross? Have I really been forgiven and promised a home in heaven, or am I really a true follower of Jesus Christ? You may doubt the work of Jesus in your life this morning. You may not be doubting your salvation, but you're doubting whether or not Jesus is genuinely at work in your current circumstances. And you can't seem to wrap your mind around why the Lord is allowing certain things to occur in your life. You may doubt that he's doing a work in your life at all. You know, Oswald Chambers once made the statement, and I quote, Doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he is thinking. You know, John the Baptist, through the Bible, is definitely an individual who is thinking. And in our focal passage this morning, we would see John the Baptist as a great man of faith. However, according to the gospel accounts, he was challenged with a massive doubt concerning the Lord Jesus. So I would invite you this morning to open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 7. We're going to begin looking at verse 18. We'll go all the way through verse 23 this morning, and then we'll hit some more of those verses this evening in worship. So Luke chapter seven, beginning in verse 18. If you're visiting with us, we've been going verse by verse. And this morning we're following the trail of John the Baptist so that you and I can better understand how to tackle doubt when it comes into our lives. I wanna invite you where you are, if you'll stand with me in honor of God's word. Verse 18, you've got it there in front of you, say amen. amen. And the Bible says the disciples of John reported to him all of these things. Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or should we look for someone else? And when the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, Jesus, to ask, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? There's this doubt. Verse 21. At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then verse 23, Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Let's bow together. Father, we open the word this morning and desire for you to really press it in on our hearts so that we might bear fruit as believers. And God, we know even as Christians, we often can find ourselves doubting. So help us to learn, Lord Jesus, this morning how to fight the enemy of doubt so that you gain the glory for whatever is occurring in our life and that we might come to greater know the depth of who you are and the length of your love for us. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, Amen. And you can be seated. You know, When I think about the life and ministry of John the Baptist, I would never have thought that he would be a man to ever struggle with doubt concerning Jesus. Think about it for just a moment. He was a brute of a man. He had a bold message that paused for absolutely no one. In fact, he preached the coming of God's anointed kingdom. He preached judgment of God upon the people who rejected him. He preached that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, and he boldly called people to repent of their sins, turn from their old lifestyle, and get ready for the coming of God's anointed one, the long-anticipated, expected one, the Messiah. John the Baptist even had the privilege of seeing the Lord Jesus come to him, and immediately he proclaimed to the crowds who had gathered around him. With confidence, he makes the assertion, everybody look, there's Jesus. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John the Baptist was a courageous and a very confident man. And if you lived in the Bible days and you wanted to go hear a mighty prophet of the Lord preach, you would have traveled out into the wilderness and listened to the message of John the Baptist. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ himself went out and heard this mighty man of God. John the Baptist not only preached, but he also had the great privilege of baptizing the Lord Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. He did not desire to do so. In fact, he looked at Jesus and simply said, you ought to be baptizing me. But Jesus assured John that this was all a part of God's plan. And as John put Jesus under the water and brought him back up, John saw the heavens open and the Spirit of God like a dove come and descend upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But he also heard a voice from heaven. John heard God speak from heaven and make this statement. And I quote, this is my son in whom I am well pleased see John the Baptist is not only responsible for preaching the good news he's not only responsible for baptizing the Lord Jesus but he also is responsible for giving us one of those awesome statements that still encourages us today when some people came to John the Baptist and said hey John everybody's following Jesus they're not following you anymore They were trying to cut him John the Baptist simply made the statement hey Jesus must increase and I must decrease. In other words, it's more about him than it is about me. Who would have ever guessed, however, that this courageous, this confident man of God who witnessed so much in his lifetime would have ever doubted the Lord Jesus? In fact, Jesus even says, speaking of John the Baptist in the further verses, which we'll look at tonight, but listen to what Jesus says about John. He says, among those who have been born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So this great man of faith went through a difficult battle with doubt. And as we think about the idea of doubting this morning, what we want to do is find what we can learn from scripture. First of all, I want us to talk about where doubt typically comes from. Let me give you this point. Doubt often presents itself when it seems life is closing in around us. Doubt often presents itself when it seems life is closing in around us. Your attention to verse 19. Summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? Now, real quick question. Why is John sending other people to talk to Jesus? Why doesn't he go himself? Well, the answer is very simple because at this time he was unable to leave prison. Somebody's like, What? Prison? Yes, John the Baptist is incarcerated. in Matthew's gospel we have the same account of John's question where we learned that John is in prison and you may wonder what John did to cause him to be thrown into prison. Some people ask you know was he a murderer? was he a thief? was he a liar? no 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 none of those things he was a bold preacher. he was not afraid to call sin sin nor was he afraid to call a sinner a sinner. In fact, in the book of Matthew, chapter 14, it tells us the exact message that had him bound in chains and cast into this dungeonous prison. What could John have said to make somebody throw him into jail? Well, he went bold-faced to Herod, who was a great governor of Galilee, and he spoke directly eyeball-to-eyeball eyeball, with him. And he says, and I'm paraphrasing, but he says, it is against God's law for you to have a sexual relationship with Herodias She is your brother's wife. You, governor, are committing both adultery and incest, both of which are against God's law. Now, could you imagine somebody who's a preacher boldly getting in a governor's face and making such a statement? That's pretty bold. Would you agree with me? I'm asking you a question. Indeed, very bold because of John's bold question or rather bold stance upon God's word. He was, according to Matthew 14, arrested, bound, and put into prison. Now, Matthew's gospel, it also tells us not only that he's in prison, but he was receiving a bunch of information while he was in prison. He did not see the works of Christ because he was in jail. Therefore, John the Baptist never was given the privilege of seeing Jesus perform miracles. He didn't hear firsthand the great sermon on the mount, nor did he hear firsthand how he answered all the difficult questions of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. In fact, he had nothing firsthand. It was all secondhand information, kind of like us today. We receive message about the works of Jesus Christ secondhand from the inspired authors of Scripture. Now, the logical question to ask here then is simple where did he get his information about Jesus from? Well, most likely he received all of his information from his disciples, whom he led to faith in God before they had met Jesus. In fact, although John told his disciples to follow Jesus, some of them refused to do so, and they remained with him. One major account of John's disciples in Matthew's gospel is Matthew chapter 9 and verse 14. We find John's disciples, listen to this, they were actually on the side of the Pharisees, the scribes and the Sadducees, and they were questioning Jesus as to why Jesus didn't fast like they did. Remember John's disciples, they wanted to know why Jesus wasn't living up to their spiritual checklist. So they're putting Jesus on the spot along with these other religious leaders. So these individuals would have been the ones who most likely visited John the Baptist, while he's in prison, and given John his information about the Lord Jesus. Now, the problem with their information is that it would have been biased information, I believe. Trying to convince John that this Jesus could not be the Messiah. That he could not be the expected one who had come to set Israel free. I can hear him now saying stuff like, John, this Jesus whom you told us to follow, I don't think he's the one we really ought to be following. Hey, he doesn't fast like we do. In fact, John, listen to this. This Jesus, man, he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. This Jesus, John, listen, we saw him talking to a bunch of Gentiles. There is no way this can be the Messiah. So John, while he's in prison, begins to sit back and process all of this information in his mind. Now, the information is true. Jesus was hanging out with uh, sinners, tax collectors, and Gentiles. But the information would have been void of Jesus Christ's miracles and his message to the people. So you can imagine old John, after hearing second-hand biased information, saying, Well, maybe something isn't right here. Maybe there is an issue with Jesus. Maybe he isn't the Messiah, and I just totally missed it, and I should be expecting someone else. Uh, Besides, you know, this Messiah is supposed to come preach release to the captives, and I'm captive, and I ain't been released. Y'all out there? So John's in a difficult situation. You can almost sense the doubt crawling up on John the Baptist in that lonely prison cell. It began in that moment when the walls of prison were closing in on him. He began to doubt Jesus. Now, it's rather interesting how doubt does creep into a person's heart. You know, I knew a man once in the past who struggled greatly with doubt. He had given his heart to Jesus Christ. He realized without a doubt that he was a sinner. He needed forgiveness from his sin to know God. He responded to the gospel message of Jesus dying for his sins, being buried and resurrected. So he turned from his sins and he placed his trust in Jesus Christ. So he had faith in the Lord. He had a relationship with him. But then, all of a sudden, um, as he was following Christ, his life started going haywire. Anybody know that this can happen to a believer? It goes haywire. His job wasn't going well. He wasn't spending enough time with his family. His wife was getting ill, had a couple of sons, and they were both going off the deep end to say the least. So he was sliding into somewhat of a spiritual depression. In fact, you could say that he was incarcerated with difficulty. The cage of life seemed to be growing in closer and closer upon him. And then one night, he's at home. He's telling me this story, he's watching television, and all of a sudden the History Channel comes on. And the televised show is entitled, Jesus, Did He Really Get Up From the Grave? And then another televised show is coming on the following channel, and he gives me this title, Did Jesus Have a Love Interest? And Was She Mary Martha? All of a sudden, the man's mind is swept into the broadcast, which is based completely upon biased information. The case seems strong. It seems airtight to the man. The conclusion seems both reasonable and possibly even understandable. And in the midst of a difficult situation, doubt begins to creep in through the television set with a goal to choke out this man's genuine faith in the Lord. You know, questions begin to make their way to the front of his mind, and maybe you've had some of these questions make their way to the front of your mind. Is Jesus real? If Jesus were real, there's no way I'd have so many issues in my life. If Jesus were real, then my job wouldn't be like it is. If Jesus were real, then my wife wouldn't be like she is. My son, my daughter, I wouldn't face all of these situations, and if Jesus really is who he said that he is then why all of this and doubt creeps in and grabs hold of our throat so to speak to try to choke out our trust in the Lord so this morning bottom line is you may be in the building and you're listening to this preacher for a moment but you've entered into this arena and you have been experiencing doubt all week long And I love how God, by his sovereignty, made sure you were in church this morning so that you could learn how to respond to doubt. So how do we respond? Well, we're going to find out how by looking at what Jesus told the disciples to tell John. So let me ask it like this. What do we do whenever we doubt? If you're doubting, listen, hang on. This will help you. Verse 21 in your Bible At that very time, Jesus cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. See, the Lord Jesus is fully aware that John the Baptist is getting all this biased information of who he really is and what he's really doing. So it was essential that Jesus tell them to go and report what they had seen and what they had heard. That's why what they heard taught and what they had seen with their own eyes needed to be described to the Lord Jesus through these disciples. Now, what does he basically say to them? A couple of things. What does Jesus want John to know concerning his doubt? What are the steps you should take whenever you doubt, whenever I doubt? Here's the first step. You need to refocus on the word. You need to refocus on the word. Verse 22 in your Bible. Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. So Jesus did not say in this text, just run back there and tell John that, yeah, I'm the expected one. Go back and tell him I'm the Messiah from God the Father to forgive sins. Go back and tell him that I'm the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. Let old John know everything is all right. He can chill out in jail. That's not what Jesus says. That would seem to be the best thing to do. But instead, Jesus Christ says, go back and tell John that I am fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies of the expected one. Uh, But did you notice what, and I love this, please don't miss this part of the text. Jesus Christ is pointing to the word of God to substantiate who he is. In other words, Jesus is like, hey, go tell John I'm doing everything that the prophet said the Messiah would do. In fact, go tell him that I'm doing what Isaiah said in Isaiah 29 when Isaiah said, In that day the deaf shall hear. Out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. And the poor among mankind will exalt in the Holy One of Israel. So Jesus is like, you just take John to the Word because it is in the Word that he will hear about me. And by the way, that's why I delight. In preaching the word of God verse by verse. Because whenever I preach this Bible verse by verse, God, through the Holy Spirit, reveals Jesus to you. That's one reason that I preach verse by verse. Some people are like, why do you do that? That's why. And it's so refreshing to me. I don't have to come up with something new every single week. Are y'all all right? I just go to the book, man. It's like, what's the next verse? All right, Where are we headed? And then how does God use the scripture to reveal Jesus? And by the way, that is exactly what the Spirit of God said that he came to do. The Spirit of God came to point everyone to the Son of God who is Jesus Christ. So when the preacher is filled with the Spirit of God, he will always exalt the Son of God so that others might come to know him personally. That's why it drives me nuts. And now I'm about to jump on a little stool here, but y'all listening to me pretty good. Drives me nuts when I hear a preacher get up and he preaches everything but the Bible. I mean that is that he ain't he should not call himself a preacher. He ought to get out of the pulpit and go find him a Bible and get saved. Hell <laughs> alright. It's amazing the difference, preaching the Bible. And that's what Jesus said. Just take John back to the Bible. Take him back to the prophetic word, and he will see me. And then what does John need to do? He not only needs to refocus on the word, but he also needs to have faith in God's character. Now, you got to hang with me because this is awesome. Keep this in mind, verse 23. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Now, the word offense is the word scandalon. We get the English word scandal from this term. It literally gives the imagery of someone stumbling over something. Now, in John's case, he feels abandoned. If Jesus is the Messiah, then surely his first act of jubilee should be to release his own cousin from jail. And remember, John came preaching repentance and the coming of the kingdom of God through the Messiah. He stated regularly that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Much like the Jews, listen, John believed the Messiah would come on the scene and set up a new and lasting government on the earth. He would free Israel from oppression and lead God's people, Israel, to great days of blessing. However, Jesus came talking about grace, talking about mercy, talking about forgiveness. Why is that? Jesus was on a mission. Not as a conquering king, but rather as a suffering servant. He had not only come for the Jews, but he had also come for the Gentiles. Paul the Apostle makes reference to this in the book of Ephesians and says that the Old Testament prophets could not see the church age in which you and I currently live. So whenever they prophesied and whenever they studied the scriptures, they were looking for Christ to come, set up a kingdom on earth, but they could not see over the peaks of the prophecy down into the valley what God's eternal plan from the age past would be that he would bring Gentiles which is all of us who ain't Jew into the inheritance of the Jewish nation so that we could be blessed in Jesus Christ they didn't see that John didn't see it so when Jesus isn't accomplishing these things he's like what is up with Christ but he takes him back to the word John's limited knowledge of Jesus' his ministry calls him to doubt who he was Jesus speaking now in verse 23, encouraging John and even the disciples not to stumble over his message. This is huge. Are y'all listening to say yes? yes? Do not miss this. When Jesus came, the first time he came as a suffering servant to die for the sins of the world. But Israel was looking for a king to set up a kingdom. So when Jesus came and did not do what they desired for him to do, they said, this can't be the man. So they were tripping over Jesus. They were scandalized themselves over the person of Jesus Christ. And I put some stars in my notes here, so think deeply with me for just a moment. Don't trip. This is what Jesus is saying. Don't trip over who I truly am, trying to make me fit into who you think I should be. Uh, know that my ways are fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies and my ways are God's ways and so what John needs to do is refocus on the word what did the prophet say about the Messiah okay Jesus is doing that so now even though it doesn't look the way I thought that it should look I need to trust the character of God who has made a faithful promise to the people of Israel that he would indeed redeem them so I need to trust God even when it makes no sense are y'all out there, say yes. Now, I'm sweating. I ain't gonna lie. Can't hardly breathe. And all I got up here to help me is some sardines. That ain't no joke. You're doubting, some of you this morning. So you, you know the Lord, and this is wild. Are y'all listening, I want you to hear this. The Lord allows your circumstances To come to a point in your life where you're like, if God doesn't show up now, I am absolutely doomed. God allows that. Why does he allow such a thing? Because God wants to teach you to trust him fully. You can respond to your circumstance with doubt in Jesus. Man, if Jesus really cared, he wouldn't be letting this mess happen to me. What's his problem? People act like that. They doubt the Lord, and as a result, they stifle their own spiritual growth. But then, whenever you're on the brink, Of a place in your life where your circumstances have closed in on you and you're like man I've got to figure out who God is what let me refocus on his word what does it say about him oh it says that he's faithful says that he will provide all of my needs according to riches and glory says that he's the healer says that he has promised inheritance for me it says all of these things so regardless of the fact that the cage is coming in on me I need to trust God and even though I feel like I'm about to fall off the brink of this situation the Lord will be there there to catch me. And those are the times that we genuinely grow in our faith. So God allows those situations to occur because He wants you to grow in your faith. That's His whole point. Y'all still out there? Great example. There was a couple who came to the church that I previously pastored. They were living in sin. Uh, they um, basically placed their faith in the Lord. Some things began to change, but they were living with each other. So we met with them. so an unmarried couple living with each other. Said, y'all are in sin. You need to repent of that. Get out of that situation. So encouraging, ain't it? So they began to look at me. And you can see the fear kind of creep up on their own face and the doubt. Because they began to say to me, well, Levi, you don't understand, man. We, the only reason we're living with each other is because of the uh, financial security that we kind of have found in this situation. We can't make it on our own, so we moved in with each other. Oh, by the way, that ain't the only reason you moved in with each other. I was born in the night, but it wasn't last night. Y'all all right? <laughs> Please. So, I said, Well, I said this. Listen, uh, did God save you? Yes. Uh, God promises that He'll provide for all of your needs. You agree with that? Yep, sure do. Well, listen, you need to make a bold stand then, bro. I'm talking to the man now. Y'all all right? You need to move out. You need to get your life focused on Jesus before you even start thinking about this marriage thing. So, you need to leave. You could tell me, they were scared to death. They got up, they left the house, or rather the uh, office. And a few days later, they called me up on the phone. He did and said, "Uh, Levi, you're not going to believe this. I said, What is it? He said, Someone just called me and told me that they wanted to give me a fully furnished apartment free of rent. Y'all all right? What is going on here? Listen, God will make a provision for you to be obedient to his word, even when it's tough. But that's the point where we've got to trust him. That's how we grow. And I uh, said it kind of like this to the first service, so I'll say it like this to you as well. And please listen to uh, what I'm about to say, because this is wild, man. Are y'all listening? You and I know that the Bible teaches that God is a God of all comfort. Would you agree with that? I'm asking y'all, would you agree with that? He's a God of all comfort. Listen, you wouldn't know that unless you experienced some discomfort. (laughs) Y'all excited now, ain't you? (laughs) So all of these, you begin to think about the characteristics of the Lord. And they are positive characteristics. Listen, I would not know that God is a God of grace and love were it not for my own sin. And that's why the Bible says, before the foundation of the world, Jesus had already been slain as a lamb for the sins of the world. That's before the foundation of the world. God knew sin was coming. He already had a plan for it. There's a lot of characteristics of God you and I would never know unless life seemed to begin to close in on us. And the enemy wants to get in there and cause you to doubt. The Holy Spirit wants you to place all of your trust in God. And watch him work these things out according to his plan, according to his purpose. And God will make a way. We sang about it, didn't we? Y'all all right? That's why we can sing stuff like, It's Well With My Soul. But, but preacher, you don't get it, man. All this stuff's going on with my life. Hey, is God not good? Did God not promise in his word he has a perfect plan for your life? And listen, some of the circumstances that are in your life are a result of just God allowing them to happen. But some of the circumstances in your life are a result of what you did. So please, and by the way, don't blame God for something you did. I got to finish this. But it does help, man. So listen, all of you doubters in the house, you know what you need to do? You just need to say, all right, Lord, what characteristic, what nature... Do you desire to teach me about yourself? What picture of you do you desire for me to see? God of grace, God of forgiveness, who is a provider, uh, my healer, etc. cetera. You can go all through these lists. God, what is it that you're trying to teach me? Because this circumstance really stinks, but I know you want me to trust you, and I'm going to move forward in that. Yeah. Grow, man. Grow in your faith. Don't go out here allowing the enemy to choke out your faith in the Lord. Amen? Yeah. All right, let's bow together. Father, speak to hearts even now.